Disclaimer. No data subjects were harmed in the making of this podcast. Welcome to the Privacy Bar and Bands podcast. We make privacy awareness simple. Seat back, relax, and grab your darkest privacy myths and misconceptions. Your mind-boggling experience begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Oh, I love drink water. So, well, <laughs> anyway, Wait, so who am I? I'm yet to be Next question. Next, next. <laughs> next question. Next, next. Dolly baby. DPO. You know, I realized that. I realized that we can actually get away with calling you DPO. Dolly DPO. Data protection officer. DPO. Dolly. Dolly the DPO. No, never in a million years. How? I'm sure people like call you DPO, but like my own is just because Nobody like you are an expert. Nobody. Nobody calls you DPO. Well, they are sleeping. They are sleeping on the nickname. I give up. I'm done with you. Is but anyway, they are, are sleeping on a nickname. Ah, well, we move on. I'm fine. I'm good. Um, I'm fine. I'm good. I mean, I'm excited to be here. I'm excited is a is a huge word. I'm excited to be here. I'm nervous and excited to be I'm here. Excited. So. Yes. Yeah. That's that's how I'm feeling. Yeah. That's it's it. Like you always bring up new things. What does excited mean? I'm nervous and excited to be here. So I spent my whole week thinking about this wow. moment where we'll have to come and do this recording. And I have been nervous and excited. So nervous nervous because I don't know what to expect really. Excited because I'm hopeful and optimistic, so and excited, yeah. You don't know what to expect in terms of like the recording or like you know, people listening in eventually. The whole shebang, to be honest, I feel like if you've not done podcasts before, you don't know what to expect. Like, like I, I literally have zero expectations, I just have hopes that things will go well, that people will enjoy the podcast. That will, will like people would actually really really enjoy listening to. Will we'll, we'll build an audience. That um, our recording sessions will be fun and not boring for us. That the work that we put in behind the scenes for the podcast would like show through in the podcast that we create. So yeah, I'm I'm I'm, I'm hopeful and nervous and excited and not expectant because I don't know what to be expectant of. How about you? How are you feeling? Well. Thank you, Yetendi Longman, for the new term because I'm feeling excited. Well, I think I've been honestly really You're excited welcome. about doing this, but at the same time, I've been really tense. Like, what's gonna happen? How am I going to do this? Like, like you said, I've, it's, it's not something that I've ever done before. And if you ask in January, would you be interested in starting a podcast or um, joining a podcast? My definite answer would have been no, not interested. But here we are. I mean, we're doing it, and I, I, I'm, I'm hopeful and um, excited. I'm excited about possible outcomes, but still tensed. Yeah, that podcast one. I definitely did not have podcast on my yearly goals this year. Not like yearly goals. I write them down. And oh. I tick off everything on the list. But like, it's just it just came out of nowhere. But I like things like this because it's dynamic. Matter. Yes, oh, it's just just different, just dynamic. This is different. Yeah. Why should I hear? Exactly. So there's that that like excitement, you know, 
of like this being a whole new thing. Like I, I'm actually really excited. But then you know one thing I've been that's been bugging me down, like one detail. I just been thinking who who wants to listen to people talk about privacy? Who wants to listen to us talk about privacy? Because I feel like okay, so I I listen to privacy podcasts, right? But I feel mm-hmm. like some of them like they're either really serious, like an interview with like they're always very like you know, put together, serious straight to the point you know if, um, 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 you know they're discussing critical points changing life changing dynamic changing novel ideas nuances and i'm like do i know enough to like what like because for us i think our personality is quite like fun and light-hearted i mean the, yeah because i'm thinking the podcast is called privacy bambas and that's fair enough i mean we're bantering our personality right so it's not that dynamic of us being, you know, very no. serious. I don't know. Mm, I don't know what the vibe is. I can actually totally relate. So when we're going to start this, I'm like, okay, let me see what other people have done. And I and I started like one privacy. I, I, I'm listening to like maybe a quarter of an episode on a privacy podcast. And I'm like, nah, man. Like it made me feel like, how am I going to do this? No, this is not what I'm signing up for. Nope, nope. So I just went and I'm like, nah, not doing that, not doing this. This has to reflect like, you know, more of eating this character and less of my serious character. I'm sorry, are you trying to insinuate that I'm the less serious person on this podcast and you are the most serious one? Well, yeah, that you are right because you are the industry expert. (laughs) Really, I don't think anyone has ever said that before, but thank you. Take it as a compliment. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're definitely a more fun person than I am. So We'll find out anyway, on this podcast. We'll, we'll, to, to be seen. I know, To right? be seen, to be seen, to be seen. Because I, so, so then I then keep thinking like, so who's going to, like, so because I'm thinking who's going to listen, like, because it's going to be fun. Like, but I think that everybody has, information is better when it's made fun, right? So I believe that everybody, whether serious, unserious, curious, enthusiastic, Whatever you may be, I feel like you can do it a little bit more fun. If you enjoy privacy stuff as well already, so this is just going to make it even better because, you know, we are hoping that, you know, when you're listening to us, you know, make it lighthearted and still have a good and fun episode. You can listen to it at any point. You know, it's just easy. That's how I feel. Sure. sure. We're, we're hopeful. We're hopeful. We're hopeful. We're excited and we we don't know what to expect yet. We'll see we'll see but you know one thing i keep dreading i can't lie is this whole like us having to edit thing like i, I don't think i'm keen on listening to this that part where we have to sit down and really listen to what we've said right Yo, yeah i think that i might end up feeling like i've said a lot of rubbish <laughs> ah! I, I think i think for me it's just the fact that i i don't like the sound of my own voice i can't listen to like myself talk i can't listen to recordings of myself like i just don't like the sound of my voice and especially the fact that i can't even sing so sometimes when i when i'm listening to myself talk it's like are you trying to sing so i'm like eh. no 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 no, no. <laughs> she said am i trying to sing lol <laughs> nah. Fair enough. I mean, to be honest, I guess now everybody's going to be listening to you singing. <laughs> uh, true. Exactly. So, um, you people, get ready for terrible voices because Jalapu and I don't know how to sing. That, that's what I can say. But I feel like you still like our voices smooth, velvety, 
just what you need for a Sunday afternoon or a Saturday afternoon or a Friday evening, you know, to unwind. We really want to, you know, help you relax. So, DPO, Dolly Dolly, tell us about you. Who are you? What are people, who are people listening to? Give them a feel of the character behind the voice, the woman behind the mic. Rather than talk about who I am, I'd rather, rather start with who I'm not. I am not a person. Bas Bas She's giving you guys negative definition. I am not. My name is not Dolly. My name is Dolako. <laughs> it's not Dolly Dolly too. My name is Dolako. Um, I'm a tech policy analyst at TechHive Advisory. Um, yeah, I'm a privacy newbie. I, I prefer to refer to myself as that. But anyways, I, I think I am a privacy lover. Um, I'm a data protection lover. And I, I love my job, right? Mm-hmm. You know, this is the issue. I, people form in modesty when they really shouldn't be. It's, it's not nice. I'm sorry. Let me help her in, reintroduce herself. Her name is Dolly. Dolly is a DPU, a data protection organ. Yeah, she's Dolakwa DPO for shots, data protection or guy for shots. Um, um, yes, that's who Dolly is. She's an ex. Here we are. So, me, thank you, thank you for that. You're welcome. You're welcome. My aspire to inspire to inspire to require to. To my boy. <laughs> to her. <laughs> anyway, so who am I? I'm yesterday. Um, uh, well, I'm also a data protection um, analyst, enthusiast, everything. Um, so I'm not working at Tech Hive Me. Um, you know, although I, I fancy them to be friends of myself. Um, but I am, I am not, and I'm not working in data protection anywhere at the moment. Um, I'm currently exploring a bit of writing. So, yeah, that's where you guys have this the privilege to listen to my voice. Um, please don't take it for granted. Thank you. I hear you. That's who I am. So, we're going to be talking about privacy fields, right? Privacy fields are just... How do I put it now? Things that happen in the privacy world that would shock you. Like, you will be shocked to your knees, right? So we're, we're terming them as privacy fields, and we're going to be discussing some of the ones that really, really shocked us. Right. So yeah, that's, that's basically it. So. I think that's an apt description. Shock. Because I think, so, so, the thing is, some of them are funny. So they're shocking because, they're shocking because some of them are funny. Some of them are Some would disappoint you also. Yes. Many will disappoint you. How about that? I think that's a probably more. Let's manage expectations very well in this episode. This podcast. Many, okay. Many will disappoint you. Some will just excite you. Some will be things that excite. you've heard about before, but yeah, excite. I mean, like it's exciting. Maybe you've heard about it before being mentioned, and this is your, your opportunity to learn more about okay, maybe it. Maybe the way we're going to explain it. Exactly. So maybe we'll give a little more detail than maybe you have had in the past or whatnot. Okay. So, um, Delacqua, I don't know if you want to go first. Which one did you, which one shocked you the most? Since you've used shock as our anchor word for this episode, let us go so with shock. This is, this is my all-time favorite, right? Why is my favorite? Because 
these guys in this in this um in um, the guys in the story actually thought they were doing the right thing, right? So you know those times when you are very confident that you're doing the right thing, but in actual fact, you're doing nonsense, <laughs> right? So you this know the story of um yeah. So this is the story of um, a high school, right? So this school taught that a proper interpretation of the GDPR would be to um, not use um, people's surnames on textbooks, notebooks, and probably if you extend it, maybe yearbooks and everything. So they started using numbers to identify people. So for example, in the class where there are two dollar calls, right? There'll be a dollar for one and a dollar for two. So in this case, there was a Harry one and a Harry two, right? So they stopped using the surnames of kids uh, or students on their textbooks, or their notebooks, basically just their first name. But you know what really hits me for me is how could they have thought that this was interpreting the GDPR? The GDPR actually would, it, it's actually for you to help protect your identity and use it in the right way, right? Use your personal data in the right way. But in this case, right, I think they created room for loss of identity. So they literally did the opposite of what the GDPR wanted them to do. Right, or they literally, they literally just over interpreted it. They turned the interpretation on its head. They turned the interpretation on its head. So, I mean, part of this story was during Christmas, one of the kids sent a note to the other kid. So, I think he read from Jack 2 to Harry 2, or from from Harry 2 to Jack 2. And as a Nigerian mother, I gave my son a name, or my child a name. If my child brings, for example, Iritomi Day 1 back to me, well, me and the teachers are going to have a sit-down and talk, right? So I think that was just, it was just a funny story to me. Um, Fair enough. You know, one thing that we should say, though, oh, first, actually, GDPR, for those who maybe are not within the privacy space, um, like I said, the podcast is for the seriously and serious. So if you're just curious or, you know, you're also welcome to listen. So general GDPR means General Data Protection Regulation. It was yeah, the exactly. law passed in 2018 by um, the EU to regulate the processing of personal data. Um, personal data being any data that can make somebody identifiable. So that would include, as Olafo has rightly pointed out, name. Um, and I think for me, so what happened, I guess, the, the, that was, Olafo has basically told us the misinterpretation. So what was misinterpreted actually is the fact that several parts of the GDPR that says, you know, um, to in in processing anybody's personal data processing data including anything you do with personal data anything you do with anything known as personal data um whether you store it you write it you put it down you um you name it whatever that is a form of processing so in this situation when schools write children's names on their books or you know that's a form of processing um, and the thing is, in processing data, GDPR requires that you uphold yourself to certain principles, including one of which is the security principle, which entails that you ensure that the confidentiality, integrity, availability of the data is protected. You don't process more data than you need to. So those are principles that kind of frame this decision. Because when you think about it, they said there's an obligation to maintain confidentiality. So to them, if, if there's so many Harrys in the world, if you see if a kid's notebook is somewhere on a table with people who shouldn't ordinarily have access to that data. Seeing Harry 1 or Harry 2 would not them help them identify the data. That's something that in data protection space is known as pseudonymization, which is the is a method of 
removing making sure personal data is no longer personal data but is now like non-personal data so it's not it's because it cannot identify someone so harry one harry two iremide one yesterday one dollar for one dpo one doesn't identify anybody specifically um, so that that was their method of going about it but as Alakwa said <laughs> it literally turned the whole thing on his head right um, and, and these are the issues used for addressing. Yeah, I mean, yes, Harry one doesn't identify someone, but he also, like, I think even in terms of looking at the, the content of the GDPR itself, this is also, like, it doesn't. So Harry, okay, so you have Harry one, Harry two, Harry three. It it offends against the spirit of the the regulation because the regulation wasn't saying, oh, we don't want personal data. It just says when you're processing personal data, make sure you comply with these principles. It's not like don't make everybody identify people but by not identifying them so that you can get your way with the regulation right that's not what the spirit of the law is about but anyway yeah totally i think for me for me it's just a really funny um funny story because again i think this was like the only this was like the one privacy field where the where the um guys actually thought they were doing the right thing but were were not actually so for me, it's really funny. So I said, yeah, I, I totally agree. Like for me, this was one story where like out of all the privacy fields I came, I came across, right, or I've come across, this was one that the, for the, that the people in the story actually thought they were doing the right thing, right? The people in context actually thought they were doing the right thing. But in actual fact, uh-uh, they didn't get it right. Big zero, big fail. Ovasabi. Ovasabi means like doing too much. Um, but doing nothing at the same time. That's literally the what literal that was. Case it was Ubasabi, actually. Uh, exactly. The, the, the there was nothing. Which privacy fail has stood out for you? I mean, so, I mean, for me, probably my funniest one that I have and I can think of is probably the guy who tried to be forgotten, but <laughs> never be forgotten. So, actually, to be fair, it, I can't say it was, is, is it, I'd say it's not a privacy fail for anyone really more than him. So um, the general the data protection the general data protection regulation, which wasn't in operation at this time, which has, has since come, has created a right to be forgotten, which everyone now knows. But before that, um, when the EU was still operating under the data protection di- directive, um, the the position of the law was there was no provision on the right to be forgotten, which is the right to um, if you have any information out there to actually record the, that information back um, and for it to no longer be published. So this case actually was between Google and this individual who sued Google. So um, the, what had happened was he had been bankrupt in the past and so a couple of blogs had posted it and he was trying to get into new businesses but every time people googled him they would see you know his history of bankruptcy um, and so he felt expression and all that so he sued google because google was the google lists so when you search um someone or search something on google google actually crawls websites that have relevant information and then lists them in order of how relevant the information the website provides is to your search so if you search the man's name google would come up with a list of amongst other things list of articles that refer to him and his bankruptcy right um so that's how google works so he 
um, you know, this was really creating a, it was really affecting his reputation and he didn't want that information out there anymore. So he, um, he sued Google, asked Google to delist those links to those articles. So to take them off the list and Google was like, sorry, no, we can't. <laughs> um, and so he then, the case then gets referred, um, he sues them, it goes to court. And when he gets to the court, um, I think it was in Spain, um, the cases get referred to the Court of Justice of the European Union. Who That's the court that basically deals with um, any any questions that local courts or national courts cannot answer with regards to regulations that are EU-wide. So in this case, the GDPR is EU-wide, or as it, as, as it was at the time, the Data Protection Directive was EU-wide. So they, they referred the question to the CJU. And then when upon getting to the Court of Justice of the European Union, the court is like, um, yeah, this man does have a right to request for his um, information to be delisted. Um, and Google has an obligation to delist the information and also to inform any other third parties that they have shared that information with to take it down. So that was where the obligation or the, the right, the little subject's right to be forgotten came up from. It was because of that case. But the interesting thing is because, like I said, Google works to crawl up it crawls websites to pull together, give you a list of relevant information in the order of relevancy of the information that you search for. Google, um, if you now even Google the man, what happens is because the man's name is still, if you Google his name, because his name is still relevant to the right to be forgotten, which was because of his bankruptcy, what has happened is that they're now lots of cases or lots of articles that would be that have been listed by google about him which still refer to his bankruptcy because they talk about the right to be forgotten so apparently from what was like two articles that could have um that referred to his bankruptcy there are now about 800 articles that refer to his bankruptcy i mean look at us we're even talking about it here where um you know we're still talking about this bankruptcy although we don't mention his name but you know we're talking about his bankruptcy and if we had mentioned his name if you googled his name um and if if we maybe had a script for the episode maybe posted on our website it would still include that and our discussion of his bankruptcy in the discussion of the right to be forgotten on on google's list right of of websites that contain relevant issues so this was actually totally hilarious um i feel bad for him though i can't lie because he really wanted to be forgotten if you think about it you probably wouldn't have thought in a million years that it would turn out. It would turn. It would turn out like this. Probably thought, oh, um, the articles will be taken down, and you know, I'll, exactly. I'll do what I want. But I mean, years down the line, and it's still all over. Yeah, we are. So I feel bad for him. Like the yeah. the man who wanted to be forgotten, who will never be forgotten. The man who created the right to be forgotten. He also championed the privacy, um, a data subject right. So, oh well. Yeah, and I think that that's maybe the only case where, like, that led to the creation of a data subjects rights. Because otherwise, they were all, I mean, suggested in the creation of the GDPR or maybe some other international treaties or laws. That's how they came about. This is the first litigation-motivated, I think, first and only litigation-motivated data subjects rights. So, I mean, he has a lot to be proud of, but the bankruptcy that he wanted to be forgotten. That's, that's the silver lining to the story. <laughs> I mean, silver lining. We have to always find silver linings, don't we? I mean, Dolak, but there was one you you mentioned to me earlier, actually, that I thought was also funny. I mean, which of do you remember the one I was talking? About? The one about the people who dumped records. 
in a random place, blah, 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 oh, blah. I'll leave you to tell us the story. So for me, you know, there's, there's this huge assumption that when you talk, not assumption, a lot of times when you talk about privacy and data protection, everybody talks online. But people forget that, yeah. um, you know, privacy is as much physical as it's online, right? So for this story, it was, a, it was I think it was a pharmacy or a hospital or so. And they thought that um, a proper way to dispense of people's data that was on hard paper, a lot of people's um, data that has been recorded on paper, probably, you know, when you go to the hospital and fill from. So, for example, Nigerian hospitals, have you noticed, especially the, like, public ones or the um, federal-owned ones, right, or state-owned hospitals, they ask you for ridiculous amount of data that they probably won't need. Why do you need my, my mother's maiden name to treat me? Why? Uh. My personal why? favorite why? state of like, origin and religion. I think my personal favorite state of origin and religion. Those are my personal favorites. You get I can imagine. And then for in this case, it was even more like sensitive sensitive data because it was health data, right? People, um, it's it's really private to a lot of people. And this this dispensary, right, thought the best thing would be to dump their records outside with in cardboard boxes. They didn't even maybe shred it or anything. They just dumped like thousands of files in their backyard or in their junkyard and i'm like wow smart smart move and i'm like wow okay you guys you guys did it for me like it's always so simple but it just goes to say how much people a lot of people don't even um respect people's rights don't pay enough attention to because it's a health facility people's sensitive data oh no this story killed me. No, I think, I think, so the thing is, I think people don't actually understand the, so I think, and we're going to have an episode on that at some point as well, right, Dolak, but what we're going to be discussing, like, the the consequences of the data that we have, I feel like our data is so important that, like, people don't understand the weight of every piece of personal data that you put out there or you give to someone or the consequences it can have on you. So it's always, like, when people do things like this, it's always... I was speaking to someone and she said, oh, I really don't care if my phone is hacked. And I'm like, wait, are my pictures on your phone? She said, yes. Our WhatsApp conversations on your phone? She said, yes. I said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to cut you off from my list of people that I speak with or share my mm-hmm. data with. I mean, this was the situation as well. You know, even when people, you know, those loan companies, those payday loan companies, I was certainly are also planning to have an episode around that as well, where people you know they, they they so when when you're signing up to the paid and loan companies they take your um they take your they ask you for access to grant access to the apps to their to your contact list and the, what you do is you actually are giving them the personal data of everybody on your contact list because you're giving them access to everybody's phone number which they would then use to in my opinion i think it's a form of harassment if i'm getting a message from someone i don't want a message from or i'm not expecting a message from it's a form of harassment to harass <laughs> people when you have failed to pay your loan it's it's very and this thing is crazy because someone can have your number that you don't even have their number and so you get a number a message from a random number saying oh you need to pay um, xyz person is a is fraudulent they owe us money exactly because people so many people have I access think, to your phone like you said people need to just be more responsible more about responsible knowing that um I'm, I'm holding like i hold a lot of people's um personal data whether sensitive or non-sensitive and i have a responsibility towards that data yeah you know? and i think another I, even like a higher responsibility exactly exactly and i think another element is people forget that so when we said that protesting under the gdpr under data protection regulation means anything you do with data that includes disposing of the data 
So even when you are disposing the data, you must, exactly, you must do it in a way that assures the security of the data, which includes protecting the confidentiality of the data. So I guess in a, in a way, this story sort of is like a contrast to the Harry story. So this one is over Sabi and under Sabi. Uh, over Sabi means like doing too much, which you referred to earlier. And then for Joseph's dispensary, that's under Sabi because they have literally done less than they expected to do, right? So, you know, it's one exactly. of those issues. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that was very, that was actually quite, I, when you were telling me about it, I was like, yeah, I can't believe. So, and this is why, you know, the funny thing is when businesses actually have confidential information that is that is maybe their trade secrets. So, a trade secret is a secret that, you know, is, an inform, is a piece of information that is important to your to your business operations so maybe like the recipe for coca-cola or the recipe for kfc chicken those are trade secrets right when businesses have trade secrets they are always using shredders to dispose of the documents of the of the documents that contain those trade, trade secrets so they remember to use a shredder make sure that you know the shredder is one that can delete the message properly but when it comes to disposing people's personal data they don't think about it case in point even in nigeria you know where like you know you go and buy street food and then the street food is wrapped in people's exam scripts people's <laughs> certificates people's yeah. uh, like exam cover letter and like, cv they where they go to school like personal data i think some some schools actually print like they, they do like this pre-printed thing or pre um pre um detailed exam sheets where the person's name is already there and sometimes you can even include the person's date of birth for an exam i don't get that point exactly like, moving on and they just dispose of those things nonchalantly that that's really trashy behavior trashy behavior yeah i mean it's the classic nigerian tale yeah, you know ghetto behavior ghetto behavior um or or like even the nigerian the typical (laughs) or even the typical nigerian like joke that you know you you go and buy um street food and then you already is wrapped in someone's certificate you know these are these are the funny things that we see um yeah but basically the the thing is i guess this is just a warning for customers you need to be careful who you trust your trust your data with right in some of some situations you have choices and options or um so you you need to consider who you're giving what information to how you are giving access to what information and how that affects not only your personal data but the personal data of other people who whose data you're going to be releasing because you're releasing your personal data so i mean it's it's really a catch-22 for me there was another situation that i thought wow okay you know I realize that a lot of these privacy fields probably have some in some way to do with um security and security measures. So there is an airline, a very massive big airline, um, that basically so you know the way airlines operate in a me in a manner that um in a way that uh, so they have a lot of service providers. It's like any any big business, you have so many service providers. You have platforms where you integrate your service providers into so that you can effectively you can your your delivery of service can be seamless. So people don't have to go from one website to another to another before they settle on getting the service they need. Right? You just provide one integrated platform. Um, and the thing that happens is that with every in a security system, any human point of human contact is a point of risk. So it's a point of exposure. So any any point in the system where you have people where you have a connection or human contact is a break in the seamlessness of the system. So in those um those integrated platforms actually have all the vendors access points are deemed a security risk. And then in those vendor access points you have to then think about the human 
the human um the human interface part of it so the part where maybe employees of that vendor can then access the, their own part of the platform and then to access the integrated platform so what happened in this situation is that an airline has so many customers um they then they have so many sorry so many customers and they have so many service providers so one of the service providers their user one of their employees accounts was hacked and as a consequence of that hack so cyber criminals were able to access get into the airlines into parts of the airlines platform through the integrated platform that they weren't supposed to be able to breach upon accessing that they were able to access proprietary information that allowed them to gain access to um, a lot of information so um security logins administrator security administrator level security login and an administrator level security login is like that's the system operators or the system managers um login that enables them to you know do things at the back end of the system such as notice where there's a breach like access breaches exchange things assign logins assign um um needs-based access controls or assign access controls generally um and so things like that right so what they were able to do was because they then gained access to this part of the platform they were able to change things with the system one of the things they did was they actually diverted the payments so so you know when you're paying on a website on a shopping website right like, well, you know when you're shopping and then you get to a point where you need to pay so they were able to divert the place where you need to enter the payment information of the customers and so by so doing they were able to access everything so your cvv your card long long card number your card name your your billing address yeah. all that information they access quick, quick question here so i can understand that um some parts of the system um got hacked but for like the you know them getting access and logging in then the company or then the um, airline have like um to FAO, like a verification process for logging in. Oh, I didn't even go to the worst part of the story. So, all of this happened, oh, okay. right? Well, listen. Well, yeah, like yes. all of this is happening, right? And they don't even know that there is a breach until they're told by oh my god a third party that their system has been that the cyber criminals have said they've hacked their systems so they had no system to even notify to even know when their systems are being breached things like so you know normally when your google gives you the opportunity when you want to sign into your gmail to have to assign a two-factor authentication system where you can then have maybe your phone number you get a pin on your phone number you get a pin sent to your email you have a token banks do these things we all have them on our different exactly. um platforms right so if they even had that, right, the, the initial hack wouldn't have been possible because they wouldn't have been able to gain access to the vendor employee um, account that they then used to access and hack the main account. So even they, they didn't have 2FA, their breach notification systems were as identified by the Information Commissioner's Office because this was a sanction given by them, um, which is the UK's Data Protection um, Authority, um, that they had such a weak security system and as we said, data protection laws require that you have a security system that can protect the confidentiality, integrity, and availability yeah. of the data that you are providing. So when you have criminals accessing payment information of customers, being able to divert where they enter payment information, you have created a situation where their, the confidentiality of their information is, is compromised, which means that potentially other people 
if they don't quickly change some of the information that it has to do with their bank account or if they don't have a two-factor system with their bank criminals can just hack into their accounts and take money and take things out and use their cards or their card information to process payments that they didn't authorize and things like that so the risk was massive especially for an airline like you'd expect that you know at least they would predict these risks and put in measures to ensure that you know these things don't happen but hey who here we are nobody's above mistakes quote unquote uh, uh, this wasn't a mistake this was negligence that's a difference i mean that's why they find them so heftily <laughs> you, know, you know when you think about it right a, a large part of data protection right is also having like a breach response system right yes so, recognize or the the ecosystem recognizes that these things happen right it's, it's a possibility but the real question is what do you do when a breach now occurs like you should have like a very efficient you know system where at least you can you can back up you can recover the data or find a way to get the data back you know something that actually says oh i know this has happened and i'm taking the necessary steps to mitigate the um downsides of it right but these people literally didn't even know that there was something going on below their nose. So uh, it was a mistake. Yes. It was negligence. Yeah. yeah, no, that was, it was quite a crazy situation, you know, like, I mean, they say all systems are compromisable until they, they're, they're uncompromisable until they're compromised. So every system can be hacked, basically. It's just that they've not hacked it yet. Um, so the, the key thing usually, even with these situations, is being able to identify and detect so taking the basic measures that you need to take, then being able to identify and detect when a breach has occurred. So this is why my concern for companies, people who use these payday loan companies, you don't even know what system they have for their data management security, data, take a data security management system. For companies themselves, especially in situations like this where they were clearly negligent to make sure they put in the right systems and protocols to avoid such situations um, going undetected. Right. I think I think another very so you know this new feature on um, social media where you can literally leave disappearing messages for people or like leave people one-time messages, right? So for example, for Snapchat is the fact that you can send someone a time message, right? And after a while, the message completely did gets deleted, right? I think for WhatsApp is the fact that you can send like a you can send people like a view once image. Right. If yeah, yeah. Person clicks data right or the whatever you send to them, they can only click it once, right? But then I, I, I consider this, or they make it seem like it's a privacy enabling feature. But two things stand out for me, right? The one that even really stands out for me is the fact that it's a privacy enabling feature, right? But it doesn't sell what it's supposed to sell. So, for example, you send a a view once picture to me or a view only once picture to me. And the main goal is you want me to see it only once and never be able to see it again or have access to it. But I can literally take a screenshot, right? So you send me something I can I, can, I should only have access to once and I can take a screenshot, right? So you can actually take a screenshot of this thing, a screenshot of this thing. Same thing for Snapchat, right? You send someone um, a picture that is timed, right? But they can take screenshots of it and you know they have that data forever. But the really funny one is even the so for Snapchat, right? Snapchat was really selling the story of disappearing chats or disappearing um, messages. But a really funny thing happened when they were forced to admit that they actually kept the messages or the data that um, was supposed to be disappearing 
for an unspecified amount of time, right? So they were actually first admitted before a court. Hmm. Oh, wow. Not only that you didn't really do your research on really ensuring that this um, setting is really privacy, it's, it's really a privacy enabling feature, right? You were actually deceiving people like you were giving people cold zobo. That's literally <laughs> what you did, right? So it's just, yeah. just, it was just a really, um, I don't know, for me, I didn't, I didn't find it funny. I just, I was upset about finding out the story because it's, it's a lot. People think that they're able to, you know, when people are being deceived about how much control they have over their data, right? So it didn't really, it didn't really, it didn't really sit well for me. Yeah, I mean, so the thing is, I like hundred percent. I think so. The the idea behind this is that GDPR, as well as as well as other data protection laws, and even it's a principle of GDPR of data protection that um when you have when you're storing data, you should not store it for longer than is necessary, right? So I guess one of the is not only when they give you things like disappearing pictures and disappearing things, it's not actually just for you as well. It's also for them, in the sense that they're able to. Um, also meet their obligations, their retention obligations. So when people like Snapchat are now still retaining, I'm like, what's the point? Is it a service to you and I? <laughs> You're doing a disservice you to you and I. So why? Why I don't understand. I don't understand so why I you keep it. Me, if you are really being serious about like the privacy enable feature, right? Things like being able to screenshot should be disabled once you are probably on that feature. So for example, um, so I was on a call one day, right? Um. And you know when you're on a call and someone's really talking, but you're not listening to them, right? So I was on a call, but I was watching Netflix. Right? It was a video. Call. Mm. Let me finish now. So it was a video call, right? So and I took a screenshot of like the video call, like because I, I took a screenshot of the video call, and I realized that so for the, so before formerly you couldn't even take a screenshot. It will tell you that something is playing on your system, and you can't take a screenshot, right? Yeah. But more recently, it will take a screen. You can take a screenshot, but it's totally blank, right? So those kind of things. So Netflix isn't really doing this for privacy, right? They're doing it to protect their like, um, protect their own business, right? But for this one, when it comes to people's personal health, like you said, people don't pay enough attention. So I think for if you're really selling selling the idea of a privacy enabled feature, right, for protection of personal data, this sort of thing should be what people should put in consideration. On hundred percent, I think even like it's so crazy that um. Like even this this thing you're talking, about, I even noticed there was Showmax as well recently. Even Showmax, it's a copyright and a protecting feature as well. So if they are willing to do it for copyright protection, where they know they will be sued by people who companies who own the intellectual property in these copyrights, they should be willing to do the same thing for us data subjects. But this is the this is one of the bigger dilemmas in in the data protection space, right? This whole issue of can data subjects really on their own, um drive the enforcement of privacy laws and that's why we have data protection authorities right to kind of give us a little bit of backbone um because it's just crazy because we can't how many people so if even in terms of especially in europe where class actions are not commonplace so in class actions are really knowing encouraged like the u.s where you know you have class action of 300 people suing one company yeah it's not really like common in in europe so for data subjects, I'm not wondering, like, so how do we hold them to account? So you need data protection authorities that are very effective to really, really, like, drive home the point that you need to you need to hold them accountable and stuff. Exactly. Anyway, for me, I think, and I think we can even round off on this one because I think this one is, you know, when something is big enough to conclude. Yeah, this is one it's of those. Enough. It's big it's enough. Grand enough. It's grand enough. So, um, because the fine was a whooping 628 million euro pounds. That's the highest data protection fine given it ever in in Europe. It's it's the largest one. 
it's a massive massive and it's just data protection and what did they do so apparently um this company which is one of the biggest companies um should i say that the owner of the company is one of the billionaires of the world the richest people in the world um um and this company was fined 628 million euro pounds on the complaint of one of the uh, one of a, a consumer rights organization that complained um that basically the company was doing targeted advertising where um a company takes information about what you like, your preferences, what you order a lot, what you eat a lot. You know, like when Jolapo sees all those food adverts on her social media because she likes exploring yeah, food. Exactly, you get it. That's targeted <laughs> advertising. So basically what this company did was basically the, the, the consumer rights organization were arguing that they had no legal basis to to get give anybody targeted advertising or collect information to process information for the purpose of creating targeted advertising so that means like collecting all those information about what you like and all that and then using them to create profiles about you or profiles about people and then giving you adverts based on those profiles that you fall into um and so this company this uh so this company apparently she cannot rely on legitimate interest to do that legitimate interest is a legal basis that basically means that hey i can do this because it's for my benefit to do it or it's because my business because it's for my benefit to do it but you cannot use a legitimate interest basis where there is a human right that overrides it and the human right obviously in this situation or the right that overrides in this situation is the right not to just like is the right to not be given advertising that i don't want to see harassing me with food adver- advertisements like they do that for the time um so that's basically what i honestly think that we need to do like whole episode on targeted advertising. I actually think so. No, 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 Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and I mean like that's why hopefully this six hundred and twenty eight million pounds fine is a lecture in transparency, giving the Nigerian mother way negative reinforcement. You know, actually, and I think they deserved it. I'm, I'm speaking for someone who who has been a victim of targeted advertising. I, I okay. So for me, I think that um, I actually so they haven't released the official. So the the um data protection authority that issued this fine has not issued as not giving us the full gist of why they they gave this fine and all that. Um, but I guess we'll find out more when we see the full gist about the fine and when it was given. So I'll then be able to because I don't know. I find it hard to believe that such a big company would not um take into account. The legal basis on which they want to give targeted advertising. I don't know. The whole story just doesn't sound right to me. But I guess we'll find out, like I said. Um, yeah, and I think for me, this is probably for me, this story is probably for me the I'd say this is the most expensive one. Um definitely. An expensive fail. Like the most expensive yeah. fail ever, in fact. 
as far as the regulatory authorities in you Europe. You know why not doing the right thing actually costs you money? Exactly. We. Exactly. The one on that Sabi is expensive. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the funny what, thing. What story was like the most ridiculous for you? Um, This company that we've just spoken about mm. that with the, um, with the highest fine ever. They're the highest fine Europe in like European Data Protection Authority has given out. But before them, I think the company, the airline that I was talking about, gave was the highest um fine issued by the UK ICU or Information Commissioner's Officer, which is the UK's um data protection authority, until I think they then reduced the fine at some point, which was some scandal. But I think they had the most ridiculous anyway because they're such a big company, you'd expect a lot more. Um, but for me, I think the funniest one, I don't know, I'm competing between Harry 2, the Harry 2 story, the school with the Harry 2, Harry 1 story, or the guy who wanted to be forgotten but now will never be forgotten. I'm not sure which one is funnier. Yeah. I think it's the guy who wanted to be forgotten but now will never be forgotten. <laughs> it just, it just creates... What did this guy to do to deserve this? Like, come on, like, come on. <laughs> exactly, exactly, yeah. And I think, and yeah. He didn't actually do anything wrong. It just, it just happened that way. Yeah, but to be honest, he became a legend in the in the cause of it. I think for me, the most embarrassing. I I don't know. I'm tempted to say the people that threw away people's documents in the backyard without thinking about how they were throwing it away. I think it's been like a really interesting discourse, right? We we look forward to bringing you even juicier feels that will shock us, like Katie has, yeah, like Katie has said, right? Um, but yeah, it's 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 been really amazing, and our next episode is even going to be more interesting. And please feel free to like drop comments or things that you want us to discuss, like interesting privacy related topics, right? Or imagine tech, right? It would be really interesting to hear your views, but. Anyways, until next time. Yeah, you it means our our lovely DPO and I, Itimbe. This episode was sponsored by Ikigai Innovation Initiative and was brought to you by Tech Hive Advisory. And a big shout out to our executive producer, Ridwan Oluyedi, associate producers, Dolakwan Yitimbe. This podcast was edited by Ayonfe Aino. Shout out to her and our podcast associate, Victoria Adaramola, and graphics by Okwe Abujade.